Messiah is blessed to have called such a gracious pastor and such a gifted preacher. I really enjoy his sermons. He and his family arrived here at just the right time. One of my favorite words in Greek is chronos, which basically means the right time, God's good timing, just the right time. And kairos is very different from chronos. Chronos sounds kind of like chronology, right? And chronos is that word that's about chronological time, the way that we often, especially in our culture, think about time, right? It's measured out in days and weeks and months and years. It's very logical and systematic. But wow, nothing in these last two years has seemed systematic or logical when it comes to time. In the past two years, we have faced a pandemic which has taken over one million lives in our own country. Every single one of us has been affected in some way or another. My own mother-in-law, who was vaccinated and boosted and very well protected in the assisted living that she was living in, in that facility, she tested positive for COVID the 2nd of February and died two weeks later. It was a reminder to us that this is not done with us. We are grateful that she lived a full life. But this thing is not done with us no matter how much COVID fatigue we have, and I have it too, I know. A pandemic would have been more than enough, but as it turned out, it was just the tip of the iceberg the past couple years. We have been confronted with the evil of racism on a level that we cannot minimize as people of faith. A couple weeks after George Floyd was murdered in my home state, I encountered racism in my own little neighborhood in Nixon, Missouri. I was taking a morning walk when I ran into my nine-year-old neighbor boy walking his family dog around the block. And I got that little nudge, you know, that nudge we get sometimes. And that little nudge said, walk with him. And this time I listened. And he didn't mind because he knew me. He lives right across the street. He's my neighbor. And also, he had just gotten that dog. So he was pretty excited to tell me all about it. So as we walked around the block, he told me about his dog until we came around the last corner of the block. And he stopped right there in his steps. And he said, this is something I've never seen before. I stopped and I looked at what he was looking at. And there on a privacy fence in the biggest, boldest letters were written N-I-G. My heart just sunk. I felt sick to my stomach. That innocent guy had never encountered that word, even though I fear the day will come when that very word will be slung directly at him. He and I became walking partners the rest of the summer, along with his little sister. And as I've said, the two of them have brought great joy to my life and to Craig's as well. Some of what we have faced 
the past couple years has been like clouds with a silver lining. But not everything. It is difficult to find a silver lining in an insurrection that threatened the lives of our elected leaders and our very democracy. It is startling to realize that voting rights and public education and women's access to health care and so much more are being so deeply impacted by the division in our country. There's more that meets the eye, and each of us must educate ourselves in order to understand the bigger picture, rather than just accepting sound bites from those with political agendas. Meanwhile, we observe the effects of global warming and we recognize that we do not have all the time in the world to care more diligently about the world that God entrusted to us. Other things are pressing, but there is probably nothing more pressing than caring for our environment for the sake of future generations. But it's been pretty difficult to focus on maintaining our beautiful world when we have become daily witnesses to unimaginable violence in the Ukraine, in our very own schools and grocery stores, and in all the other places that we once thought that we were so safe. All of these pressing issues demand our attention and our advocacy. But many of us, frankly, are just so exhausted Many of us are also facing personal losses of loved ones, of health, of jobs, of financial security, of family relationships. It is too much. It is far too much. Sometimes we have heard people say, God never gives us more than we can handle, a saying that I have neither appreciated nor agreed with ever. And by the way, it is not biblical. We don't hear it as much these days, probably because there is ample evidence that it's just not true. Because first of all, God is not to blame for the messes that are caused by selfishness, greed, and apathy. And second, this is way more than we can handle. A couple days ago, I came across a CNBC article written by Elizabeth Yuko entitled, The U.S. is Wrapped in collective grief from school shootings and the pandemic, and it is rewiring our brains, experts say. Now, research has been demonstrating the effect of trauma on our brains, which can become rewired in a sense. And we are learning that collective grief is closely related to trauma, and we have yet to fully understand the long-term impact of the collective grief we've been living in for the past couple years. Our brains have gotten stuck in fight, flight, or freeze, and it makes it difficult to communicate effectively with one another and make decisions about our future. We are collectively grieving. We are overwhelmed, exhausted, broken down, on the verge of despair, and yet we know that we must rise up and advocate for justice. As people of faith, we are called to speak out against violence and hate and oppression. We are called 
to speak the truth in love. There is much to be done just when we are so worn and weary. Where can we find the strength to be the church that God has called us to be? How can we rise up as a church and find our voices and take back our role in this world? We must. We must be and do what God created us to be and do for the sake of the world, but how? Today's gospel is just what we need to hear right now. It challenges us to be what we are called to be. But more than that, it comforts us with the realization that Jesus himself asked God to help us, to help us be what we are called to be. This prayer is a part of Jesus' farewell discourse, and this was Jesus' final prayer right before he was arrested and beaten and nailed to a cross. This prayer is not for him. It is for his followers, not just those present with him that night. His prayer is for all who will follow him then and now. In this gospel, Jesus is praying for us, for the church. Jesus recognizes that our road ahead will be filled with pain and suffering and challenges beyond comprehension. Jesus also knows that the church is and will continue to be a vital force for good in a world filled with conflict, suffering, tragedy, violence, and hate. Jesus recognized what is at stake. There is hope, but only if the church remains the church, unified through the love of God that is embodied in Jesus. Being unified in love does not mean, by the way, that we are the community of the like-minded. I learned that way back in seminary, and nothing is more true. It does not mean that we all have to agree with one another on every single issue, and we don't, and that's okay. And you know what? I think that this might be one of the most vital parts of our witness to the world right now, to demonstrate to a world that is so divided and so at conflict that it is okay to disagree with one another on important issues and still be bound together in love, in God's love. Jesus' prayer for his followers, his prayer for the church, is that they may be completely one, completely unified. Jesus states a clear purpose for his prayer in verse 23, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's Jesus. Jesus is saying, so that the world may know hmm, that God sent Jesus and loves us just as God loves Jesus. Jesus' prayer was that we might embody the love of God through Christ to such a degree that the world will witness our unity and through it, come to believe that God sent Jesus into the world and God loves us. God loves us as much as God loves Jesus. Think about that. 
Jesus did not come into the world thumping his chest and bragging himself up. He did not come into the world to demonstrate the kind of power that is craved by narcissistic leaders. Jesus came into the world to demonstrate sacrificial love, the kind of love that lifts the fallen, that heals the broken, and that includes those who have been dejected and detested. And we are called to do the same. The purpose of Jesus' prayer is evangelism, sharing the good news with the rest of the world. And sometimes Lutherans forget that we are evangelicals. We are an evangelical church. It is right there in our name. We are the evangelical Lutheran Church of America. We are called to embody the love of God so that others will know that they are deeply loved by God. If we neglect our calling as the church, who else may pretend to speak on God's behalf? Those who have formed a God in their own image? Those who embody condemnation and hatred? Will we sit back and allow their destructive words to fester in hearts so eager to experience God's love? Or will we rise up and allow God to answer Jesus' prayer through us? Will we rise up with the love of God and be the church that Jesus prayed we would be? It has been difficult to prepare a sermon this week because my heart, like many of yours, has been broken for the children's and the families and the teachers and all who face the fear of violence in places that were once thought to be safe. And I've come to realize that schools and churches and homes and all the places that should have been safe through the years were never completely safe, not for everyone. But now we see so clearly just how vulnerable we are to violence, which is infecting our country at an alarming rate. Our hearts and our spirits are broken as they should be. I remember the end of the school year, and probably you do too. I remember it being a joyous time, a time of celebrating achievements, a time when summer and mosquitoes were returning to northern Minnesota, where I spent most of my youth. There was a sense of sweet freedom. The days grew longer and there was plenty of time to go for bike rides and hikes in the woods and have slumber parties. I spent last weekend with my slumber party friends, my closest friends from Nashwalk, Minnesota. We were all celebrating a birthday sometime this year that starts with a six. And um, a lot has changed since we were in school. In fact, we changed a lot since we were in school. Some of what has changed was for good, but not all of it. I have spent this week reflecting on violence that we have collectively witnessed these past weeks. Our hearts are heavy for children who don't get to enjoy that same sweet, innocent sense of freedom that we got to enjoy at the end of the school year. So it seems appropriate to close with a message that was written by our Synod Bishop, Bishop Candia, entitled, Response to the School Shooting in Uvalde, Texas. 
Our help comes from you, O Lord, who made heaven and earth. In the midst of grief, you are our comfort. In the midst of uncertainty, you are our rock. In the wake of tragedy, you are our hope. So even as we weep, we praise and place our trust in you. We pray in the name of the one who suffered and died and was raised for us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That prayer concludes the service after a violent event in the new ELCA hymnal, All Creation Sings. I am struck that we now include this service in our hymnal because these events are becoming all too common in our society. Once again, our children are paying the ultimate price. We are all left grappling with how to understand, let alone move forward in the midst of such tragedies. How can we comprehend the incredible grief surrounding the violent death of 19 school children in Texas. As people of faith, we take our grief, our outrage, our frustration, and our despair to God, knowing that God's heart is big enough to contain our grief. God's peace is deep enough to sustain our spirits. God's love is powerful enough to usher in a new way of being community without hate and violence, without fear and death. We start with prayer which is what centered us in, centers us in God and empowers us to act as followers of Jesus for the sake of God's beloved children. We must move beyond our laments and grief to examine how our own actions, our words, and our treatments of others contribute to a society that has become so violent. We must look within ourselves and ask, how can I participate in building a kinder, gentler, more peaceful society for all, what is my responsibility? What is my call? Whether we are a Democrat or Republican, liberal, progressive, conservative, or middle of the road, it is time for us all to come together and advocate for safe, sensible gun control. The right to bear arms cannot be a higher priority than the rights of our children to go to school and come home safely. We must unite across political and social divides to protect our children. I urge you to write to your government representatives, call upon them to carry out their responsibilities, to govern with wisdom and compassion, to be courageous, and to take action to make our society safer for all. The servant's service after a violent event ends with this charge, which is my charge as bishop to this synod. Go out into the world in peace, have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak and help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Reverend Susan Candia, Bishop.